The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hello, everyone. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm editor at Breaking Views here in Hong Kong, and I am at the Rise Technology Conference. As you unfamiliar, this is this huge event every year in Hong Kong. It's part of a global cycle, but Hong Kong is one of the bigger ones. Unsurprising, given the huge boom in tech fundraising and startups and innovation and money, money, money coming out of Asia, in particular China. This event is an interesting one. There's some good ideas. There's some bad ideas. There's <laughs> some just downright weird ideas. There's a vegan cryptocurrency. Lots of people doing AI and blockchain is a big theme. The question behind a lot of people's minds is, you know, is this going to be the beginning of the end of the party. A lot of money has come out of China and Asian currencies due to this cycle of money printing. It's made valuations pretty high. It's made a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of money. It's made them kind of hard to, to negotiate with. So the venture capitalists and the investors here, you know, are wondering whether there's going to become a little easier for them to drive better values with their targets. For the startups, you know, there's a question of changing models. Are you going to be able to make money just by having a big user base and a catchy, funky name? Anyways, I'm going to wander around. I'm going to meet some folks. I'm going to let some startups give me their pitches, and I'm going to talk to some investors, and I'll share what they say with you guys. Okay, so I'm starting off here. I'm at the Psalm booth, which has said something about fog computing as opposed to cloud computing. I have no idea. Hi, Andy. Hi. So fog computing is the idea that you can rent computing power from anyone on Earth with any type of computer, any size or shape, anywhere on Earth. So if you need extra computing power for any number of uh, business tasks, let's say weather modeling or scientific calculations or web hosting or video rendering, on and on and on, they all require huge amounts of computing power to do quickly and efficiently. Most businesses don't have that computing power on the premises. They have to go get it from somewhere. So the standard option has been cloud computing, right? You go and pay Amazon or Google or Microsoft to rent their power. But fog computing basically treats computing power the same way uh, Uber treats cars or Airbnb treats houses. It says, why should computing power be limited to a few organizations when almost everybody in the world has a computer, at least one, in their house that spends most of its time idle? And Amazon presumably is not going to like this business model. I don't think so, because we're saving people as much as 80% off of cloud computing costs, and that's, that's really the big benefit. And you guys are backed by the Russians, is that the case? <laughs> well, the company is based in Moscow, yes. Andy, thanks for talking to me. I hope you give your voice a little bit of a rest at some point. All right, so I had to talk to somebody in the uh, drone space, and here I've got Svilin Rangalov from Bulgaria. Um, he has a unmanned vehicle that's doing deliveries to small airports. Svilin, can you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing? Uh, that's exactly right. We're building a new design of, of a cargo UAV that can carry 350 kilograms, so the distance of 2,500 kilometers. So that's as much as you can fit in a standard car, and it can go from Hong Kong to Osaka in one flight. And so you guys are looking to exploit like smaller unused airfields. Where, where can you land these things? I mean, can you land them on a roof? Uh, no, you can't unless your roof is 400 meters in uh, in length. But it can land on unpaved uh, runways, so grass or gravel. Um, in a lot of countries around the world, you have very few passenger airports, big airports, but you have hundreds of small airfields. So these are the ones we'll be serving. Up. So you're going to have to connect an infrastructure to that, right? They land in these these airports in the middle of nowhere. Presumably, you're going to have to have a bigger footprint to serve them. Uh, what kind of money are you guys looking to raise here? We're right now in the R&D stage, so we're uh, we're looking to raise a Series A yeah. this year. But uh, we'll need to 
leverage some local money in every country that we serve. So if we partner with local airlines and airport companies, we can build out a standardized minimum airports for less than 100k at each location. All right, sounds cool. Good luck, man. Thank you. Okay, so I'm here at another stand in the hardware and IoT, Internet of Things section. I'm talking to Liris Baruding Tias uh, from Indonesia, is that right? Um, anyway, she's going to tell us about her company, Yala. Yala or Jala? It's Jala. Okay, and what does Jala do? Jala, we empower shrimp farmers to increase their yields through technology and smart data. Shrimp farmers? Shrimp farmers, yes. Why shrimp farmers? Because one of the co-founders right here, Aryo, is the shrimp farmers since 2001. And uh, we have uh, difficulties also solving uh, uh, problems and then we try to find a solution for it as well. And because shrimp is actually a very lucrative product and 24 billion market value. Wow, okay. So what does your tool do? So we provide monitoring services for water quality. And then, so we collect the data from the phones. We articulate the data into our uh, in our code into a suggestion support system, so that the farmers know exactly what action should they take based on the actual data at the right time. Is there anything sexy about your technology in terms of blockchain or AI or any of these these buzzwords or machine learning AI? Yeah, big data. So we okay, most most mostly you can describe us as a data services company for aquaculture. Okay, and how are you finding the capitalists? Are you guys getting getting good conversations with VCs this time around in terms of in terms of money? Yes, yes, sure, sure. We're actually uh, almost close our round and just inviting uh, one tech VC or one tech angel investor that want to help us building our product. Okay, great. Well, good luck to you guys. Okay, thank you, Fit. All right, so I'm here with Vegan Nation, uh, which looks to be a, uh, wow, cryptocurrency vegan coin. I'm here with Rena Thomas. I uh, turned vegan along with our CEO, Isaac, uh, two and a half years ago, and we realized how unnecessarily difficult it is to be vegan. And so what we decided to do is create a nation that defies geographical borders and bring the vegan community onto the blockchain so that we could address our daily most pressing needs. Was there a, a coin digital currency issue? So we're currently in the private sale of the vegan coin for investors uh, buying $100,000 or more worth of coins but we are going live September 1st and what can you do with these coins ah so many we already have so many vegan businesses all over the world accepting vegan coin just today we had two new uh, three new vegan businesses that accept us they just came up to us they're like we want to accept vegan coin well let me ask you about vegan venture capital like how are you guys doing in terms of raising raising funds where are you at in your cycle so right now we have mostly private uh, equity. We have uh, vegan investors. Like uh, there's this guy. Uh, I don't know if I should say his name out loud on the podcast, but he's a vegan um, Jewish uh, rabbi, if you may, and he believes in uh, veganism as uh, the means to reach world peace and collective consciousness. And so he invested with us the first five hundred thousand um, dollars. From that, just one thing leads to another, and we really do 
feel that we have one of the strongest use cases as to why we need the blockchain for a full transparent uh, supply chain to follow the money, to put your money where your mouth is. Uh, the vegan coin's going to be fully traceable. Okay, well, it sounds like you found a good niche. Yes, good luck to you. Thank you so much, Pete. All right, so now I'm here at happy hour with Jagger McConnell, CEO of Crunchbase. Um, this guy's been watching the market, obviously, very closely. I'm just wondering if you can give us a little take of, like, first, like, how things have been going so far in terms of funding and, like, is it great because I'm hearing a lot of talks about bubbles. And then are we turning a corner here macroeconomically in terms of that's going to that's gonna change the way the market operates? Yeah, it's an exciting time. So interesting stuff happening over in Asia, specifically China. Um, you know, in the, in the last, or the largest... 20 funding rounds this year. 17 of them have been in Asia, and 15 of them have been in China. Uh, it's a crazy, crazy number when you look at all the funding that's coming out in the world. China did 47% of all funding rounds in the world last quarter. Uh, and if you take out all of the $100 million rounds in the world, that number drops to 14% compared to 55% of the United States. So there's something going on in, in very large late-stage funding rounds that just don't make any sense at all. There's obviously a big opportunity in China. So these VCs are trying to figure out how do we make it go faster. So they just throw tons of money at it, accelerating the timelines, and you end up with, like, goofy IPOs that shouldn't ever happen. Like, M17 is one of my favorite examples, right, they have like 500 customers and they go public. So when you look at late stage, absolutely to bubble. So there's going to be a couple big winners and a lot of losers. And I, it's just, it, and you see that in the stock market where something like two thirds of the fund, the companies that have gone public in tech uh, in the last year, they're under their IPO price. Do you think this is going to be a turning point that's going to happen quickly, or is there enough like money in the pipe to keep this floating for for a bit next year? And secondly, is this going to be healthy? Because it sounds like you think it's going to be healthy, and a lot of people seem to think it's going to be healthy at this point. I, I think it is going to be healthy. I do think it's going to sort of shake out this year. I think if you're a strong company with great financials, you're going to be fine. But I think you're going to start seeing more and more companies actually looking at different markets, like uh, Huya went in, and over to the uh, U.S., right, to go and, and do their IPO. I think that might be a growing trend. And then and then sort of flipping to the story for a bit, like looking at early stage, I think early stage is also crazy town in its own way, where there's a lot of money coming in, for lack of a better word. Um, Everybody is using that word. It's, it's really true. When you have 3,500 VCs being created in the last in the last uh, year, in 2017, 3,500 VCs and PE firms coming into existence. That's crazy, Pat. Thanks, man. Oh, thanks. So I'm here with Scott Berquist of Silicon Valley Bank. Scott, how worried are you about the, the policy environment changing? You know, there's talks about investment restrictions in both ways, making it harder for Chinese people to invest in, sure. in Silicon Valley, and presumably it'll be tit for tat. I mean, how nervous is this making you? Um, we're aware of it. I'm not going to say that we're nervous, but we're certainly aware of it. We're, we're dealing with early to mid-stage companies, and the vast majority of them are in China for China. So at this point, it would be more of a derivative impact on them around any trade you know, tariff implications. Now, as you get bigger, those, those issues become more direct as opposed to derivative. I mean, there's been a bunch of money sloshing around in the market quite clearly, and you've got like a lot of areas where there's been what some people might think is an excess of startups, some excessive valuations. Do you see this kind of like rise in rates and this little bit of pullback of money printing as being 
being fundamentally healthy for your business? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we here we are. I don't know how you want to measure it, but we're you know arguably in the second longest you know bull market upcycle uh, that we've ever seen, which implies that valuations are also at some of the richest that we've seen. And I think that a correction is always going to be healthy for both the private and the public markets. And specific to the private markets, a correction can can offer a huge advantage to the best companies and the best investors. And so that, that correction can be a reset, not just in terms of where you can invest the money as the VC, but can it be a reset from the total uh, fundamental cost structure of the company. And so a $10 million investment you know, can extend the company you know, for 20 months instead of 10 months. Thanks for talking to me, Scott. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Pete. So back in the office, and I'm going to summarize my overall impressions. First of all, a lot of the companies on the floor this year displaying um, were similar thematically to last year. That means a lot of blockchain, a lot of AI, a lot of robotics, a lot of consumer-focused stuff, travel, Airbnb-like startups, sharing economy. Some of the investors said, in fact, that they were, they were a little bit bothered by how how similar this was to last year. There wasn't any new theme or company or sector that popped out that got everybody excited. Secondly, um, it was reassuring to see that so far the trade war and all the market ructions outside and the worries about the economy have not really dented Asia's enthusiasm for technology startups. In a way, that's not really surprising. A lot of these companies are explicitly targeting domestic consumption. They're not really trade plays. So that makes sense. Even so, some investors saw a bit of saturation. You know, how many home sharing, office sharing, travel reviewing, bike riding apps do ordinary Asians need? How many of these companies will survive the coming coal, assuming one comes? The next phase I thought was interesting, some suggested, would be more B2B focused, more enterprise focused, helping companies connect with each other and gas stations find cheap oil and shoe stores find shoe supply, so on and so forth. That wasn't obviously on display this year, but some people expect it to be the next phrase. We'll look forward to seeing that. Regardless, it was a very stimulating week. We'll be back next year. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Exchange. And particular thanks to Katrina Hamlin for helping us produce this one. Sign up for The Exchange, Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And check out our website, breakingviews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Breaking Views. And thanks again for listening.